G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the preliminary finals preview edition. Oh, we're getting close. We're getting close now on a lovely Melbourne spring Thursday morning. Beautiful weather here, the sun's shining. And uh, you can just, the crispness is uh, sort of going out of the air. We're definitely heading into warmer weather. The smell of freshly cut lawn, that's always a good reminder that uh, it's finals time. But uh, I think we're all gearing up for the last three games, which would give us a total of 207 matches in the 2019 AFL season. As I say, a very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? Yes, very, I'm very well. It's great to be able to focus again on football with the ashes over. I can return to a more normal sleep pattern and I've got to say, what a good week it has been for the incumbents, Richmond and Collingwood, as they sat back and watched various uh, uh, re tribunal fall into place for them, and they would be both sitting back smoking the old corn cob pipe, as they say. Have you? I don't know about you, but like I'm, I'm one who associates uh, famous football memories with other sort of cultural references, and everyone's talking about this. The strong possibility of a first Richmond Collingwood grand final since 1980 and my thoughts have been going back to 1980 so I keep hearing this is a stupid way my head works but you know what was really big around September 1980 the song Ashes to Ashes by David Bowie so I've had that going through my head yes his Scary Monsters album had just come out I can see Richmond jumpers with the Tetley sponsors logo on them I can just see KB Running amuck with his arms raised. Or, 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 or uh, balking around Stan Magro with Daryl Freem shepherding him on the, <laughs> on the boundary line to kick his seventh goal. It's a long time ago. It's 39 years ago. But um, it would be big. In, in fact, right off the top of your head, how many bigger, in a sort of uh, fervour sort of sense, how many bigger grand finals than Richmond Collingwood would we have had? I don't think there'd be many. No. Certainly not in the last, you know, in the AFL era. Carl- Carlton Essendon. Was, 93. Yeah, it was big. Yeah. The Silvani. See, the, I, you, as a fan, I just, you remember tiny moments. Michael Long's goal. Yeah. Silvani desperately yeah. flailing on the on the goal line. Complaining. To the goal umpire. Complaining bitterly for a process that didn't occur for another 30 years. He wanted a goal a score review, didn't he? So Essendon um, Collingwood nineteen ninety, Essendon Carlton ninety three, but um, what else? I mean Geelong Hawthorne sort of not at that stage, not in the same sort of league really. Geelong Collingwood no, um, yeah it's massive. Look Richmond Collingwood hasn't it, happened yet. We should point out Richmond. That's exactly right. Richmond Collingwood would be 
a famous rivalry rekindled, not so much from the 1980s, but historically. The 1920s. Didn't yeah. that, didn't, well, Collingwood's four flags in a row, weren't three of them against Richmond? Uh, Richmond, South Melbourne. Yeah, been, South Melbourne were in one. Might have been involved, but famously in that series of Collingwood domination in that period, there was a suggestion, might have been 1929, that Collingwood threw the semi-final simply because they wanted to play an extra game to get into the grand final because the players at that point on the tail end of the Depression or during the Depression wanted another week of match payments. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, uh, we were past the era of challenging then, weren't we? Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was pre the Page Final Four system. That came in in 31. That's right. That, um, and for people who don't know, that's the system that was employed right through till 1972 when it went to a Final Five. And for mine, the simplest and the best system, which... The Four or the Five? Oh, for me, the five was the best. Yeah? Yeah, because it rewarded the top team. Yeah. And gave a double chance to the second and third team. Yeah. And the fourth and fifth team had that difficult passage that still exists for teams in the lower part of the eight, anyhow. And then, uh, just for you kiddies out there, or you should know your football history, people, so just to uh, take that further, we had the introduction of the final six in 91, we had uh, three years of the final six, but we had two different versions of the That's final right. six, the first of which saw your boys St. comprehensively Kilda. stitched up. Yeah, well, St Kilda and Geelong had Finished to... third and fourth. Yeah, and the loser was knocked out. Mm. And both teams were powerful and had played a great final that could have gone either way, but St Kilda lost and... Adios amigos. And the day before that, teams five and six, who were both crap, yeah. <laughs> Essendon and Melbourne played each other. Melbourne won that and uh, survived. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't that was right. And in fact, 92 and 93, the, the systems were better, so they avoided that. But my memory of that is uh, Collingwood could argue they were dudded in 92 because I think they finished equal top on points. That's right. And they, lost eliminated. they lost to St Kilda and were eliminated yeah, automatically. because the two highest-ranked losers survived. Correct. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, and interestingly, when the eight began, that was also... Crap. A, a system that <laughs> yeah. required modification because first played eighth. Yeah. And interestingly, that was the same final eight system that the NRL used, but they hung on onto it for much longer than the AFL did. They did, but they st- they now use the same now system. It's the same, now it is the same system. And, and the old Final Four system, uh, Final Eight system, which went from 94 to 99, that saw anomalies too. Uh, one of them, I saw the, it's 20 years since the famous or infamous, if you're an Essendon supporter, 99 preliminary final, which Carlton managed to get through to despite having finished sixth and losing, losing their first final by 70-something points in Brisbane. Yeah. And the other one, of course, uh, famously, Adelaide um, finished fifth in 98, lost their first final to Melbourne by 48 points, and won the flag. That's right. That's good work if you can get it, isn't it? All right, all right uh, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll tell you what else September is, finally. You know, spring in the air, the sun's out, it's burger weather. Yeah, it's great to pick up a burger, especially... 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park from Andrews, because actually there is a, a, a 
sort of dynamic with eating hamburgers that we haven't really discussed because we're a wintry type of program being a football program. What is it? I loved, as a young kid, getting a burger and a milkshake and yeah. going to the beach. On the beach, yeah. Oh, I don't know, milk and summer. Uh, uh, frosty, cold milkshake or a thick shake. You yeah. Know, it was, uh, you know, you're down to the, to the <laughs> pretty quickly as a kid, but it was very much a part of our trips to the Gold Coast, and they were great burgers. You used to get right on the beach on Surface Paradise. Now, that's long gone. But that memory can be rekindled because a, a real home style, you know, a real burger place, burger. Well, you can pick up your burger from. Well, that's why I'm Andrew's saying you're not far. You're not far away. From Just the walk beach. down from walk down to Kerford Road. Easy, yeah, easy. Except you won't have anything by the time you get to the beach. How long a walk would that be? Too long for a burger to survive in my hands from Andrews. Well, just buy two. <laughs> says Rowan with an eye with an eye on well I get criticised if I say it my weight yeah don't eat two don't eat two burgers I'm overweight I'm going to lose it just after my holiday I'll tell you what else I'd like two of houses Monopoly style yeah where would I go Oh, yeah, that's Park right. Lane, Mayfair. Yeah, actually, Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bilco, if they build you four houses, they'll then build Turn you a, a hotel. hotel. <laughs> but you have to give the four houses back. Just not monopoly. <laughs> you named them, though. Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bilco. Beautiful renovations, beautiful houses, and exactly the time of the year that people start looking at what they could do to their house to enjoy their lifestyle a little bit more and those sort of open plan kitchens and big back verandas that roll into backyards are a specialty of Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bilker. And if you want to um, look up the website, we did discuss this on Friday, uh, last week, didn't we? Yeah. And um, go to Hardwick. Uh, I think it's hardwick.com.au, my Safari. Safari could not open the page because the server stopped responding. Well, piss off, server. Uh, All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get straight into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. A couple of massive news stories this week. One of them still ongoing and, in fact, will be resolved Finally, one way or the other tonight, and I speak, of course, of the controversial Toby Green one-match suspension. What have you made of this ongoing soap opera? It's been very interesting. The fact that we are still in the process, which includes an appeal against the tribunal decision, is obviously testimony to the fact that we're playing in a preliminary final because we wouldn't have gone this deep into the process had it been a home-and-away game. Uh, Toby Green generally gets little sympathy from the football world because of a repeat of the act that saw him... or a repeat of the sort of intent that saw him get a $7,500 fine in the first week of the finals. If stupidity is to be rewarded, if the look of the game is to be protected then he deserves a week because the reward for stupidity surely is suspension and the game does not need players not involved in the play diving in on prone opponents with an intent to cause some distress. No, no it doesn't. Couldn't agree more. However, having 
this is classic. I want to look at the big picture of this. This is classic AFL creating a rod for its own back. Now, the Bontempelli one, Michael Christian clearly decided that is really serious. I'm sending that to the tribunal under the um, heading of serious misconduct, and I fully expect them to give him several weeks. Whereupon, the AFL playing prosecutor marches in and says, we just want a fine, and in fact, we want a lesser fine than the tribunal ended up dealing in. Brian Gleeson, the um, AFL counsel, made no reference to the eye gouging. It was, and they also, there was no reference in any of that Bontempelli stuff to the the um, smashing of his head into the ground repeatedly. I mm. mean, it was, that was, and in retrospect, it's looked even worse. And this is the problem. And this is where the entire football world now is so cynical about AFL process or lack thereof that it just assumes these things are being managed. So when, when Green emerged with a $7,500 fine, it was sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, they've done it again. But having got the got away with the fine for that, being suspended for this one, I think, is ridiculous. Now, what makes that work? I, clearly, no sane person could look at those two incidents and say that the Neil one was as bad as the Bontempelli one. But I think the the other aspect to this is that the AFL, I think, this is what it reads like to me. The AFL got a, a bit of a backlash on the Bontempelli one and thought, mm, you know, that didn't really turn out how we wanted. So they made sure that the Neil one stuck, even though it was patently less of an offence than the Bontempelli one. So he gets a suspension instead of a fine. The tribunal chairman, David Jones, explicitly said to the other tribunal panellists in the Neil uh, one, you are not to treat the um, previous case as being relevant to it. But if that's the case, how could they possibly have maintained the one-game suspension? Correct. You are spot on. If, if the tribunal panel listened to the instructions and said this is to be treated in isolation, then the consistency or lack thereof is mind-boggling. Here's how the system has failed. It was crafted by Adrian Anderson, who incidentally, and most interestingly, was acting as defence for Toby Green, Mm. and contrary to his own guidelines in setting up the system that not that we currently use, but that was the um, starting point for where we are now, going away from each case being heard by a tribunal and you know past histories and precedent and all of that being able to be used. It, it, the past system really was, let's just call it um, talk therapy. It was basically defence and prosecutor talk through. We went to a mathematical system based a little bit on the court system that encourages the uh, the plaintiffs and the um, charged to deal with matters before getting into the courts because of a sense that through the court system it gets clogged up. So there was a great incentive in the Adrian Anderson system to accept a penalty based on a points system. Now, this is where the system has um, what we have morphed into, because that maybe was seen to be overly rigid, 
is a bit of a combine of opinion and and set guidelines. But here is where the system completely fails, and that is that surely in football, the great one. Why do we suspend players, Rowan? What is the reason for suspending players? Well, because they've infringed. No, no, not not. What, what, why do we impose suspensions? What's supposed to be the... Well, to penalise the side correct. that Pen- the offending player was on. And I would have thought, on a, on a football basis, it is to penalise the team that the player has played for. Mm. Interestingly, and probably never really discussed enough, is the fact that the penalty, the benefits of the penalty, are felt or, or, or um, received by the next team that plays them rather than the team that was offended against. Yeah. So in soccer, when a player gets sent off, you have the more, for me, more equitable system of penalty and reward being to the team penalised and the team that suffers the indiscretion, especially when a player is injured to the point of not being able to play himself. Mm. Now, I agree. I think it's to penalise the team, but surely there is also an element in imposing a penalty, even a fine, of reducing recidivism, of making that player a fairer player going forward. Now, quite clearly, this is where the system now fails. Because each incident is supposed to be taken in isolation, we see a perfect example, because of the similarity of the offences, of a player that has taken or learnt no lesson from the penalty imposed in the first week. Well, to, to wit, uh, it was the 17th time Green had been found guilty of an offence. He's paid a total of $20,000 in fines. 17? That's what I read. Wow. Yeah. Because well, you get a lot of minor offences now too. That probably includes wrestling. And, yeah, and, but still, they're all offences. Yeah, um, and suspended for a total of six games. But no, you're quite right. The whole fine base thing, it, it, it's not a deterrent at all. Not, and he simply, obviously, took no, no lesson. And the idea is not only for it to be a deterrent in the penalty imposed, but in the past there would have been a sort of Damocles hanging over the head of a player who committed an offence as prescribed by the tribunal head, you know, Jack Gaffney, would have mm. made it very clear that if we see you, if I see you before me again on a similar offence or in the case of a, a real recidivist, on any offence, if I see you before me again, I'm going to throw the book at you. Yeah. You know, one week will become four weeks no matter what the crime is I'm the judge and jury, you've been warned, you've been told, and that player would know. Well, to be fair, Jack Gaffney probably would have given him a pat on the head. It was Neil Busy that probably would have yeah, thrown yeah. the book. Right. Okay, so, <laughs> so and, and, and men before him. But there is, obviously, that dressing down, I think, is a vital part of a tribunal well, system. Well, they, they were one of the uh, amendments was they dumped the loading for previous um, indiscretions because yep. there were occasions where that worked in a negative sense too. But but I think, yeah, not taking history. But the whole rigidity of structures with loading and points had to be done away with because there were anomalies that mm. just simply were unfair. But you can do away with that and still put uh, sufficient weight on past histories. Yeah, I, I just believe that common sense is not being applied because of a sense of 
the people in charge not having it. Now, <laughs> that that's... Well, don't you... Um, I mean, you've got to be careful sort of insinuating um, interference, but it, it is really hard. I've written a column about this today for Inkle, and it'll be up on Footyology tomorrow morning, but, you know, it's really hard not to look at this case and say they've tried to stage manage this and it's backfired on them. It really is. Yeah, I... I... And, and how can you? Sorry, how, how can you blame the football public for being entirely cynical now about the judicial process when it looks at so many other examples of attempts to manage outcomes, i.e., Melbourne being fined half a million dollars for not tanking, the several attempts during the Essendon drug saga to manage outcomes that backfired spectacularly. Well, that was that entire <clears throat> that entire process was an attempt to. Um, appease Asada, keep 18 yeah. teams on the field, do deals. And every and, every time they got involved, it backfired. Yeah, in the end, the, the personality clash between the deal makers main, meant that it just fell apart at the seams. The example you like quoting, the AFL chairman ringing up and abusing the Sydney chairman because they dared to get Lance Franklin when the league wanted him to go to GWS. The impromptu trade ban slapped on Sydney and just... A month or so ago, the AFL CEO getting on radio and turning player manager and counselling Stephen Cornelio not to go anywhere but the Giants. You know, I mean, when, when well, people... I, be- I believe it all started in two thousand and four on this very weekend. Two thousand five. I know what you're going to say, sorry, Bar- th- Barry Hall. Sorry, sorry two thousand and five. In in a judicial sense, absolutely. I, I reckon. I mean, this is what I've written in the column. They're, Players have been suspended and missed out in big games right through our history. I mean, the most famous is probably John Coleman. That was nearly 70 years ago, 1951. But I reckon the Barry Hall one in 2005, and for people that don't remember, he was the match review panel gave him a one-game suspension for hitting um, Matt Maguire off the ball. Yeah, he was was 60 metres from where the play was. Yeah, which was then taken to the tribunal, and they successfully argued that that 60 metres or 50 metres constituted in, in play. play. Yep. And Barry Hall has since subsequently said, I shouldn't have played. Correct. He has been very honest about it and forthright and was shocked that he was able to play in that final. So And, and kicked uh, the second last goal of the game, which got Sydney within a kick. And we know at that <laughs> stage, prior to the existence of GWS, that Sydney was a... The, the, ongoing project that was Sydney and succeeding in that foreign market was at the forefront of the AFL's business plan. So from a business perspective, which the AFL under Andrew Demetrio became synonymous with, very hard to separate the running of the game from the running of the business, that that decision was a business-based... For many fans, that decision was tampered with on, on the basis of the need for Sydney to win a premiership to to maintain the attention of the Sydney market and to capture new fans. And and the sense of romance attached to it in that they hadn't won a flag for 72 years. And you also had that thing how earlier that season Andrew Demetrio had said they won't win a premiership playing that style of football, So, which was a comment he shouldn't have been making anyway. So, yeah, I mean, and that is now nearly 15 years ago that that, sort of first instance of, you know, what a, what people took as direct interference happened. So uh, it's no surprise that people look at the process now and, and think the AFL's fingerprints are all over it. And, and the d- problem is that, that you talk about direct 
interference yeah. and influence. But now I, I just fear that there is such a, a level of um, interference or influence by expectation and by suggestion. So, for example, maybe a call was made in 2004, but it's almost as though that you don't need to make that call now because all stakeholders know what the big picture is and almost dance to the the tune of corporate AFL and their needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that concept of the finals discount, you know, I mean, that that is wrong too. The, the justice should be the same no matter what time of the season. The other thing it makes people do is, um, well, I'm not even saying they're necessarily shadows, but jump at any sort of hint of compromise of the integrity to wit... Um, BT interviewing Shane Wakelin in the Collingwood rooms a few weeks back, which is now oh after the was it after the final the qualifying final, which is now being held up as well. Hang on, this guy's sitting on a panel that is determining the fate of a player who's supposed to be playing against Collingwood. Yep, and uh, Paul Williams, former Collingwood player, is also on that panel. So, I mean, you know, look, I've got to say, I I think that's taking it a bit far, but you can understand people drawing long bows when they see stuff like this happening. All right, that's enough on Toby Green. The other big story this week, uh, finally, is the Essendon Football Club succession plan, which involves John Worsfold coaching out the final year of his contract in 2020 and then a managed handover. Um, which we've now seen a few times, to uh, Ben Rutten, who has been an assistant there now only one season, but of course worked very successfully as an assistant at Richmond. Um, Now, a few things here. Can I just say, um, there's a line out of trailer park boys I could use here, but I told us all. We were saying this. I'm sure we said this on this program. When the Sack Warsfold thing was at its uh, feverish height, I just couldn't see that Essendon were going to do that. Essendon has craved one thing above and beyond anything else over the last five years, even on-field success, and that is stability. And that would have run contrary to everything else they've done and I think undermined everything else they've done to make the club a stable environment post-drug saga. So it just didn't make sense that that was going to happen. Secondly, I don't think Walsfold has done that bad a job. He's, I mean, he's coached for four seasons. One of those seasons he's coached effectively a reserve side. There's been two finals appearances and the other one a flying finish in which they won 10 of their last 14 games. So his actual coaching performance hasn't been that bad. Um, and this was... The, once Rutten came in and then once Carousella came in as well, that heightened the perception, this was always going to be a, a managed handover. And I, I think... Warsfold, to his credit, is one of the most ego-free coaches in the caper. And I've had a few people say to me in the couple of days since, well, what about if they win the flag or whatever? You know, it's going to be like Malthouse and Buckley. I can assure you it won't be. If there's one coach I would be confident could win a premiership and still happily hand over the reins, it would be John Warsfold. Because of the absolute... Um, calamitous nature of the Collingwood handover, I think that the general football public are a little bit weary, weary, pardon me, of... You're a little bit weary. For saying weary, a little bit weary of 
succession plans. Not to say that they shouldn't exist, but should they be made public? Did Do we really need... If John Worsfold is comfortable in this coming season being his last season, I think Essendon would be best placed just to keep that in-house. And it's another year for Ben Rutten to show his worth as a prospective senior coach. Um, could there not be a possibility of anybody else coaching the year after? Do we need to close the door in 2019 on the appointment in 2021? I think it's hard to do that in the modern environment because you get all the speculation about, well, why isn't Rutten being sounded out by Adelaide or someone else? Is that? Do you think that their hand was forced by the Pike resignation? Uh, well, they... they are saying no it wasn't but I I think it definitely was okay I still think it can be kept in house even if that uh, agreement is made it just puts was it you that was telling me the story about Kennedy and Parkin no oh it was a good story it's worth telling so so John Kennedy was coaching Hawthorne and uh, uh, 76 they they won the flag and David Parkin was his assistant and um, they did the entire Apologies to whoever told me this story. It's a ripper. Um, they did the entire um, pre-season, pre-the 77 season together. Hawthorne had just won the flag. And then one day in February, um, John Kennedy walked into Parkin's office. Um, they're all still part-time at this stage, don't forget. And walks up to David Parkin, puts his hand on his shoulder, and he said, oh, David, um, tomorrow you'll be announced coach of the Hawthorne Football Club. <laughs> it was in February of '77, and Parkin took over. So that, that's you know, obviously it's a completely different era. But uh, again, I, I don't think you could keep an in-house successfully unless well, you couldn't because there'd be all this speculation, and you'd have to continually, effectively lie about it, and something would go amiss. How did Hawthorne go in '77? Um, they. They ended up getting smashed in the preliminary final by North Melbourne, yeah. but they were probably Collingwood finished on top, but they they yeah. were second. Yeah. They were this probably on form the second best team. I'm saying because if you look at that period, you've got seventy five, seventy six. Yeah. yeah. So what are you saying? It was an easy handover. Yeah. 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 Of course it was. It was you know pretty seamless when you got one of the best teams of all time. Did you like my John Kennedy impersonation, David? No, actually, Jeff Poulter. We he should have got the Jeff, best one. We should have got. If Jeff you look Poulter. around here today, you'll, <laughs> that's the fam- You know the famous one. Well, which one is about the one that po- the famous Poulter one, Jeffrey Poulter one. If you look around here today, you'll see that John Law isn't here. He's not here because he put his body on the line. He's in hospital. <laughs> oh well, the Peter Crimmins one is actually captured, isn't it? Halftime yeah. of the seventy-five grand, grand final. He's not here today. He's he's sick. He's bringing up his lunch. Or, or <laughs> anyway, where are we going with this? Um, so I've got to say, with my Essendon hat on, I'm I'm wrapped with this. Um, now, a lot I know a lot of Essendon fans will be thinking, oh, you know, the, what about the romance of Blake Carousella? Well, um, great raps on Cara as an assistant coach, but I keep hearing that he is not convinced himself that he, he is ready for senior coaching, which is fair enough. And Rutten is. And there are great raps on Rutten. I, I did, we were, we won't say who it was, but the other night we were both speaking to um, an Essendon insider who's been instrumental in this deal. And we were, you know, we were sort of 
asking about the virtues of Rutten, the coach, and he said he's a great relationship builder. He's going to be one of the youngest coaches we've seen too. I mean, what is he? I think he's 36. Um, you know, yeah, that yeah, sounds right. Didn't retire all that long ago. Um, great relationship builder, uh, a very good tactical uh, mind, and that probably the result of playing so much footy as a key defender and looking down the ground and seeing the game unfold ahead of him. Um, strong in uh, enforcing what he wants done. Um, and a, a good, and, and it, you can, you can he- tell when you, you know, you hear someone speak and you can sort of work out how intelligent they are. He's a very good speaker. I, I think you can tell he's a pretty intelligent guy. I'm, yeah. I'm really happy with it. Yeah, my my concerns for any club, especially one that I supported, if they, if for St Kilda, if they did something similarly, is I, I would just be worried that it means that the upcoming season, the final year of the coach that is part of the succession plan, um, and and this of course did not happen at all with Collingwood, but if the season's not running well, can sort of peter out into we're just biding time here waiting for ben to take over yeah um yeah no i understand that but i, I think again um you know my understanding is and and Runton and warsfold actually sat there together for a week and mapped out exactly how it would work yeah. and took that to the board you know yeah. so there there's the first and most significant difference from old house and buckley these yeah. two guys are actively working together and have both embraced the idea I that mean, was never the case with old house and buckley what because of their relationship and their, their strong no. egos and well yeah but mainly because mick didn't want to stop coaching well, i'm saying well, Warsfold does <laughs> i'm saying because of their their egos these yeah. are alpha males and the i would see this working well and and it's at its very best if Essendon didn't were struggling in 2020. Were or weren't? Were. Yeah. If they have a tough year next year, that the second half of the year would almost see the seamless integration of Rutner's coach to the point where by the final home and away game, he's virtually coaching. Well, I think it might actually unfold like that. I mean, this is... look. Then it works well. Then you don't need to sack a coach. You don't need to have, you know, the public uh, open up and and wounds being created. You get a very comfortable, even if it's not a bad season, even mm. if the club rolls into the finals, that that Rutten's role over the year, upcoming season, really develops to the point where, unless it's a pre- premiership tilt, mm. he is co- virtually coaching by the final game. Well, I, I think that my understanding is that is pretty much how it's going to work. I mean, you know, Warsfold will uh, take the heat if things aren't going well and be very happy to credit Rutten if things are going well and and yeah oh, look, well you need to have that right personality to do that don't you yeah my, I, I think that they are yeah okay it's interesting and my final observations are you know less so now but when I grew up following football Essendon had a reputation for being savage on failed coaches probably uh, being born out of their the, the the crowd and the members attack on Barry Davis mm. in his final days as Essendon coach. He was roundly booed mm. uh, before he slunk away from the club. Uh, Matthew Knights would similarly talk about his final days being difficult. So I hope everything works out for Ben because with a nickname, The Truck, 
I can imagine what will be coming over the fence if things aren't going well. Well, there's some conjecture about that nickname too. What's he's your understanding of it? I thought he was the truck. No, no, it is the truck, but there's some conjecture about why he's the truck. Well, I don't know why he's the truck, well, but I know the, word, of... I know the word Essendon fans will be putting in front of the <laughs> truck if he's, not, if he's not enjoying success. Well, it's pretty easy, let's be honest. And finally, will John Lydon coach in 2021? I did that joke. Oh, you've done it? I, you, you're the... Isn't this great? Uh, everyone knows you and I work together well, Finey. I, I made that gag on Twitter. I didn't I'll know. show you the tweet. Yeah, it was the first thing I thought of, but you're the only other person I've spoken to who's come up with a similar gag, and that, of course, is that in 2021, we will have a ratten and a rutten. I, my tweet was, who's going to be the first club to sign up John Lydon so we can have rotten as well? Oh, my God, I'm starting to think like you. <laughs> no, let's not finish each other's sentences. Uh, let's certainly not share the same bed. Um, all right, that's enough of newsfeed. Let's talk about the fourth estate. On Footyology Media Watch. Well, 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 a big week on the uh, the Media Watch share front. Share the same bed. Oh, it was a joke, Fine. It was a joke. Jeez, cannoli. Um, a, a uh, interesting night. Well, we did accompany each other to a function. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were my date at the uh, the glitter at the football media's glittering night of nights, the Australian Football Media Association annual dinner and awards. And uh, I've been to about five hundred and twenty eight of them, and you hadn't been to one. You were a, a media awards virgin. So uh, you came along, um, you did buy your own ticket, in fairness, you weren't my date, um, and you got a complimentary seat on the life members table, yeah, table number was, one. How funny was that? I was at a table where every other person on the table, including my date, uh, was a member, a life member of the Australian Football Media Association. So I was an honorary life member. So I? let's go around the table. We had um, Peter Legrand, uh, famous uh, caller with uh, 3GL and K-Rock. Yep. Uh, Rod Nicholson, famous uh, Herald and Herald Sun football cricket racing writer. Uh, we had Michael Stevens, who was inducted as a life member. Michael Lovett, and, um, formerly with the Herald and the Sunday Age and still working uh, with the AFL and Croc Media, putting out the AFL record. Um, I'm just trying to work my way around the table. Who was next? Um, come on, help me here. Well, there were the two photographers. Oh, Wayne, Wayne Ludby and Sebastian Costanzo, both uh, two very... Very good and uh, experienced veteran photographers uh, in a football sense. Uh, did I miss anyone? That may be it. Maybe one, one more. But... Come on, you're very good at this stuff. You should be here. There might be one I've missed, but it'll come to me. But did you... Oh, no, I was going to say, the one thing I always Oh, noticed... Timsey. Oh, Daryl Timms, of course. Uh, famously from The Truth and The Sun and The Herald Sun. And good to see Timsy looking well, too. He had a bit of a heart issue uh, about a year or so ago, but in much better shape now. Um, yeah, I always like to say I I'm always feel like I'm easily the youngest yeah. on the life members' table, but actually, truth being, oh, I think I probably was the youngest. I think Ludders is a bit older than me and maybe Seb as well. But I look younger than all of the others, don't I? Funny. You act younger. Uh, yes, I certainly do. Anyway, uh, your first experience of a media awards. We're going to, because um, I know there's some interest out there, and you know, you all have your likes and dislikes in the media world. So we're going to run through the awards and tell you who won 
what uh, and maybe have a bit of commentary on one or two items. But what did you make of the entire evening? Well, it's hosted by BT. Starts with a, a, some roaming Brian. Very, he's he's very good at it. Yeah. Um, interesting that there's a comment, sort of a, a a caveat at the start of the night, which is oh yeah, what's that called again? The Chatham House rules. Yeah, Chatham House rules. Yeah. So. It, not as much what happens at the awards stays at the awards because, of course, we find out who the winners are and if you can get some juicy football information on the night, then use it. But a, a agreement that for the night you put your phones down and you're not racing to be first to say anything. So I think anything that comes from the evening would have to be the next day after and thereafter. So I, I did observe, though, that it must things must have got a bit cattier because for, oh, well, as long as I can remember now, there's been a sort of comedy bloopers tape put together by various TV producers and clips from the various TV footy shows in which people, you know, sometimes they actually film a little segment and people get bagged and whatever. It's, it's all good fun, but uh, apparently that's been the source of some ill will in recent years to the point where the producers are now reluctant to do to contribute to such a tape because they end up getting yelled at by their talent for um putting them in the in the in the what poop yeah so that was a bit disappointing i mean uh people are getting a bit precious about all that aren't they yeah and the, the other thing is that this is an opportunity for um winners for front men and women to recognise producers and production assistants, the the hard working team behind programs get credit, and uh, so do bosses at newspapers and radio stations that give people an opportunity. So that's all very worthwhile. So um, there was quite a few awards, uh, a few less than there were actually. They've pared back on the awards a bit, but uh, let's run through them and you can sort of offer some commentary and I might in a couple of places too. Well, just as a, as a bit of a teaser, I think that not in terms of who wins award, won the award, won, won an award, but there was an absolute... Foul up. There was a, a complete misstep by the AFL, Australian Football Media Awards on the night, and it basically was a howler that is unforgivable, and they should be roundly criticised for it. All right. Well, I'll be interested to hear what award you think that was. Um, so the first award of the evening, actually, those aren't all in chronological order, but the first. This was the first award, and it's the Clinton. Gribus Award, and it's uh, handed to the best rising star in the AFL media, of course. It named, sounds like you're presenting it. <laughs> named after the late and great Clinton Gribus, very sadly missed. Um, and we were both really happy about this because it went to uh, a man I affectionately know as Wonder Boy, Daniel Cherney from The Age. And uh, a really well done, Daniel. I know you'll listen to this uh, Good work, mate. Of course, the you had some magnificent mentoring early on, starting day one when I walked into the office and saw young Daniel sitting there and uh, asked him um, what school, a, what school he was. <laughs> no, I asked him what school he was from and how long his work experience went for when he'd actually come in as an intern. But yep. uh, no, he's a really good hand. And what we both like about Dan 
is the fact that he's passionate about his footy. He's a certified, genuine footy head, and uh, there's not enough of them around these days. Yeah, I've known Daniel for quite a while. I've, I've done some work with him. I've done some uh, podcasts with him. I've done some radio with him. And he's a combination of, first of all, appropriately... He's appropriately um, respectful, which a lot of young journos aren't. They are desperate to climb the ladder as quickly as possible and don't care uh, whether they betray uh, confidences or not. He's not at all like that, and he's a St Kilda man. Um, and uh, he's turned into Biggle, so he's spout, uh, sprouting a, a, a funny moustache, a healthy moustache, which with his sort of buffy hair certainly gives him a World War One fighter pilot. But look. he is well, rightly well liked. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, unlike us. Um, all right, we had uh, the photographic awards, of course, always um, very important. Great pictures taken uh, of AFL games and things surrounding them, and. Uh, a, a double in the photographic section, best photographer, and also won the prize for best action photo, which was a, a great shot of Max Gorn, I think, down on the ground with the ball, sort of looking almost like he was looking at the ball it was great. sideways. It's a great photo. It, it's a player that has been obviously tipped over. Max Gorn's a big, one of the obviously tallest players in the competition, and he's obviously in that piece of play been knocked over. Yet he's, according to the photo, his eyes never left the ball. Uh, yeah, really good shot and uh, a good portfolio of other stuff too. And that was won by John O. Searle uh, of AFL Media, who is based in Brisbane. Yeah, that's very good, isn't it? Um, yeah, well, you know, this is national competition, so uh, well, well, that of all the cities, I think Brisbane is the one that seems to be least supportive in a. In a media sense, the Brisbane Courier and their news of AFL. So it's great that that in in a hostile environment, he's a real quality performer. Well, perhaps that might change now that the Lions have had such a wonderful year and the Brisbane Broncos lost fifty eight nil in the NRL to Parramatta. How about and we're the aftermath? Out on the of, how about the aftermath of that? What the pokies? Yeah, but Sorry. what? The, but also what the club has said. What, what did the club say? Oh, just, you know, th- that it wasn't good enough, the preparation. Yeah. And there are guys here that are finished. Yeah. Well, 58. You know, I mean, what's the, what's the AFL equivalent of that? It's like Port Adelaide's uh, it's 2007 an, grand final Yeah, but to come straight out afterwards and say there are guys that played, a number of guys that played will never play for this club again. Uh, it was tough. Mean. It was tough. Um, all right. Another category uh, for print. And um, there, okay, I'm going to say this now. So, as long as I've been in the media, there have been three categories for the print awards best feature, either um, one or a uh, portfolio of feature writing, best news, either one or a collection of usually three, and best columnist, uh, which is a collection of two or three of the best columns. For whatever reason, and I've said this to the committee privately, so I might as well say it publicly, I have no idea why, but they have scrapped the best columnist category, despite the fact that more so than ever now, a very high percentage of what you read in print or online is opinion. So how does that work? You're sort of immediately um, disqualifying probably half of what is written 
because it doesn't fit under the category of features or news. It's just mind-boggling. And I've asked people on the committee about this, and no one can tell me why it's actually happened. Well, here's a tip, guys. When you sit down to think about the awards, now you know. Uh, anyway, so the Print Awards uh, Best Feature... I feel for you, because that's really where your strength lies. That's Well, that's all, that's I, your... write. That's all I write, really, these days. So you feel a little bit like... George Ferdinand, F- Fernando, or no, no, George, George Fernand. Uh, who was, is? In 1919, he was the great caption writer for black and white silent movies. And they got rid of that category. <laughs> oh, I yes. love the way you come up with some analogy just so you can demonstrate your amazing knowledge of completely off the wall Well, that, that one I made up. Uh, oh really? Yeah. Oh, good. Thanks. But imagine the guy well, who should have come. Well, yeah, it's like blacksmith of the year in yeah, nineteen. Right. Imagine the guy who wrote those captions on those <laughs> yeah. black and white cards. Oh, he's. <laughs> well, oh, he's a hero. Actually, one of the one of the first jobs you do in newspapers when you get a cadetship is caption writing. That used to be the case on the Sun. Or the but, P- or the pianola player. All right, I, I get the idea. But the, that's what you are, mate. <laughs> the, yeah. Well. As a winner of the uh, best column, a previous winner of the best columnist award in 2015. No, I, I, 2015 or 1915? Don't. No, I won it in 2015 oh, for um, a couple of columns about Essendon, funnily enough. Um, but what, it's, what, what were the columns? Oh, Fitz Morris to retire. Oh, okay, it's good joke, Fanny. Don't, don't labour it. Oh, did Who's... I, I never discussed this with you. Segway, complete segway. Yeah. I never, ever knew this. Who was, not just Essendon, who was football's one of the first greatest players to ever, ever played the game? Uh, Albert Thurgood. Correct. Do you know that he was signed and named to play for St Kilda in a VFA game in the 1890s? I think he went to either Wesley College or Melbourne Grammar. No, Brighton Grammar. He went to Brighton Grammar. He was not, he was agreed to, and he had he had agreed to and signed with to play for St Kilda, named for St Kilda in a VFA game, and on that very morning of that game, was um, seduced and picked up by coach by horse and coach by the Essendon president who lived in Brighton, and taken to the Essendon game. Under what St Kilda claimed was a akin to a kidnapping. Are you asking me if I know that? You, did, was, you did. He, you did ask me if I knew that, yeah. didn't you? You know what the answer is? No. Yes, I do. You do? I do know that, and you know why? Why? Because I'm a distant relation of the Thurgood family. Are you? No. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Can we get back on with it? It is a good story. But it's that would have changed St Kilda. St Kilda were perennially the worst team for the for forever. Oh well, good to see some things haven't changed. That all would have changed had you not kidnapped Thurgood. Yeah, and had the ball bounced up for Stephen Milne and had uh, Matthew Scarlett not uh, poked his toe. You know you had a player kidnapped. Who was it? Peter Burns. He had come from Ballarat to play for Essendon. Oh, okay. Yeah. And on the train, not kidnapped, on the train, a South Melbourne representative pretended he was from the Essendon Football Club and ushered him to 
the South Melbourne Cricket Ground instead of your ground. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back on the AFL Media Awards. Um, so the the two categories in print then are Best Feature and Best News. Best Feature Writer was won by Mitch Cleary of AFL Media for a compendium of work. I can't actually recall specific examples, but that is a that's quite notable finding because I'm pretty mm. sure that is the first time that that particular award hasn't been won by either someone from the Age or the Herald Sun. And the significance of that, of course, is that um, uh, newspapers, print editions, have been the f- platform for great display of long reads. And uh, he's, he's, It was a portfolio featured, the two featured pieces were the Dylan Shield trade, Oh, yes, that's right. And a day in the life of St Kilda during the pre-season. Yes, thank you. Um, but the, the point I'm making is, though, that this was all online, being part of AFL Media. So yep. um, I actually think that's really good that the um, feature writing category wasn't so much about how something was displayed, but the actual content therein. Because, of course, something displayed online can never look as grand as it does in print. Um, best news uh, story in print was won by Mark Robinson for his breaking of the story of Brad Scott resigning as North Melbourne coach. Yep. Um, so well done, Robbo, on that. Um, and TV, we had uh, best news reporter, and uh, this one elicited an interesting response. Um, best news reporter on TV was Channel 7's Tom Brown for his breaking of the Jaden Stevenson suspension over gambling. Um, long speech, Tom Brown. He thanked just about everyone, didn't he? Yep. At Channel 7, including, and he thanked um, a lot of Triple M people too, including the uh, hot breakfast team of um, Eddie Maguire, Luke Darcy. Also thanked Will Anderson, who he noted had a very different view of life than he did, i.e., I think he meant that. Uh, Will Anderson wasn't a member of the Young Liberal Club. Yeah. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, yes, I did. I saw oh, yeah. you, you cringe. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tom Brown is one of those ambitious young reporters who is desperate to clamber up the ladder. Maybe they should also have a feature on the most misguided report by a young oh. or by a reporter when he claimed. After two games, that John Worsfold had lost the support of the Essendon board, who had become interested in James Hurd on the back of an appearance on for a radio station. Yeah, no, that one didn't go well. Was that two games? Yeah, after, uh, okay. you know, it was in the aftermath of the loss to St Kilda. Anyway, look, the Jaden Stevenson story, definitely a good get, so uh, well done to Tom. Uh, TV best program was judged to be Fox Footy's AFL 360, which has won that category a number of times and won again. Do you have any qualms with that? No. I don't watch it regularly, but it's a an ode to consistency and output. Which yeah, I'll look <laughs> that that um, that nod to putting out good product on a daily on a regular basis didn't stretch to the podcasts, unfortunately. Uh, we're going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get to that. Um, actually, you mentioned you know sort of. Uh, giving acknowledgement to behind-the-scenes people. The person um, involved with AFL 360 who probably deserves the most credit is Tim Hodges, who 
Um, he's a lovely guy, Tim, and a, a really good journo, and he's produced that show from the start. And when you think about it, it's quite pacey, and there's a lot of news elements involved, and there's guests, and there's footage. You know, it's a really busy, hard thing to bring together on a nightly basis. It must be very hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and he's done an excellent job with that. So, uh, well done, Tim. Really happy for your success with that. Best TV caller, and we're talking play-by-play caller, that was Bruce McAvaney from Channel 7. And Bruce um, actually gave a very moving speech because this was, of course, the night before Danny Frawley's funeral and memorial service. But Bruce revealed he'd flown over from Adelaide and uh, Bruce got his start in the industry with uh, a legend of South Australian football, Robert Oti, um, Jack Oti. You know, huge legend of South Australian football, Jack's son, Robert, who um, played at Norwood, played at Sturt, played under Jack in a, a Sturt premiership and went on to become a caller and was a real mentor to Bruce. And he'd actually passed away on that day. So Bruce was very emotional. And he's he can get a bit emotional anyway, but he was very emotional this day. And it was a lovely speech. Very, Gee, it was a great speech. Yeah, very heartfelt. And uh, so well done to Bruce, I'll best tell, caller. I'll, I'll tell you what he did do. That speech, he's just a really talented man uh, verbally. And, and it sort of made me sad, that speech. For personal reasons. Oh, okay. Do you want to elaborate on that or? No. Okay. All right. Um, so, and the best special comments on TV went to Fox Footy's Gary Lyon. And I certainly don't have any qualms with that. I think he's, he's a, Gaz is a terrific uh, special comments bloke. Um, he's certainly, he's able to spot things others don't. I think he, I think he's able to explain them to the layman pretty well, which is, to me, should be sort of 90% of the, the battle. So when does he work on TV as a special comments man? Um, he does, as a rule, the biggest game on Saturday for Fox. So don't forget, Fox, I think only Fox cover... Oh, they cover more games now. I think they do six out of nine. Yeah, I'd say... He does two a weekend for Fox. I think he's a, an excellent special comments man, but a lot of his work is lost... Why? Because it's not seen by a wider audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not the Friday night game. You know that. Yeah, well, is the main platform. That's that's a Channel Seven game. I mean, you can't yeah. you can't use that as a criteria for judging. No, no, those no. Awards. No, it's well done that they picked that they picked somebody that wasn't as obvious. Now, uh, radio. So three categories in radio: best caller, uh, best special comments, and best program. Um, so best caller was our former colleague Anthony Hudson off SEN and AFL Nations coverage, and I couldn't agree more. We've sung Hutto's praises enough, so you're not getting another pat on the back here, Hutto. No, well done. Um, he's won that a number of times now, and deservedly so. Best special comments on radio, and I don't think anyone would um, argue the toss on this one. He's been a fantastic addition to the ranks of AFL media, and that is former St Kilda champion Nick Rewalt. Yeah, been very good. I I actually would have not picked him, though. Who would you have picked? His teammate. Uh, Nick Del Santo. Yeah. yeah? Yeah, I just think... Yeah, I like Del. I think Nick Del Santo... I think Nick Rewalt, this is his first year as a special comments person. Yeah. It's a fact that you learn so much in broadcasting by flying hours that Nick will be better in the years to come i think the first year you do have to you know find your feet a little bit mm. 
it's just a nature of the beast. And I think Nick Del Santo, uh, probably in his third year now, has landed in a very, you know, has, has come to the point that Nick Rewalt will come to shortly. Yep, okay, no, fair enough. Um, uh, certainly a great, a very impressive debut by him. And the best program, and remembering that we're talking football coverage, best program was voted Waitley on SEN. Um, and, uh, yeah, a few surprises about that. No doubt that... It's an embarrassment. That, for, it's an embarrassment for the Australian Football okay, Media so Award. this is the one you're talking about, is yeah, it? Yeah, it's embarrassing. Okay, tell us why. It's outrageous, actually. Okay, why? Because it's not a football program. I mean, how on earth can you have the winner? And this is no slide on Jared because uh, the runner-up was Crunch Time, hosted by Jared Waitley. And yeah. I think no problems as a, a broadcaster and a person who heads football, a football program on radio. He's a worthy winner. No problems whatsoever. This is an embarrassment for the Australian Football Media Awards. And how this was allowed to happen, I do not know. First of all, why they were nominated by 1116 SEN is ridiculous. Well, it is. I mean, to be, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate here. It's a show that a vast majority of the content is football-based. It's on a football show. Jared, Waitley is a radio program. It's the breakfast program from Monday to Thursday on 1116 SEN. He's got a heck of a lot of cricket content. He's a very keen cricket man. I've heard basketball content. I've heard soccer content. This is, an, this is a poor piece of work all round, and they should be roundly castigated and criticised for not knowing their own brief. The best radio program for the Australian Football Media Awards is not, I repeat, not a football program. It's a sports program hosted by Jared Waitley. It's a very good program. His football content is excellent. Just an embarrassment. So okay. embarrassing for them. Whose head is that upon? Is it upon the um, employer for entering it in that category, or is it on the judges for awarding it? To me, it just shows. Look, were the employer trying to get away with something? You know, Waitley is the flagship program on eleven sixteen SEN. Why don't they nominate it for a gold logie? It's not a TV program, but, you know, fair enough. Put it in for whatever awards you want to put it in for. It's incumbent on the people handing out the awards, and I'll go straight to the top, Tony Shebeki, to sort wheat from chaff. Look, I've got Colin Tyrus here. Colin is a legendary, experienced radio man. Can I ask Colin? Yeah, go ahead. Am I wrong, Colin? I think that uh, if it says it's a football award, it should be predominantly, in fact, only football. It's got to be a football program, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. By definition, there's no way that think, there's no way that Waitley, the program Waitley, would promote itself. Welcome to Waitley. Three hours of football talk. Mm. This is Waitley on football. It's not. It's a sports program hosted. By Jared Waitley. Yeah, no, I, I accept. What I, are they doing? I don't feel as strongly about it, but I accept what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. All right, let's quickly run through the rest. Um, online, there was a on online digital media category, and uh, there was a club award, best AFL media club in terms of presentation of online digital content. This and is big because it's it's the only place where Gold Coast hasn't run last. 
Um, yeah, the Gold Coast was highly commended, so well done the media team at the Suns, and that was won by Hawthorne, who, um, in fact, the what piece they won it for, I did see, and it was an absolute ripper. It was when Sean Burgoyne became the Indigenous Games record holder, and they flew in a whole lot of Indigenous players from all over the country. Um, uh, who was part of that? We had, uh, oh, you know, um, Shay Cockatoo Collins and uh, guys coming in from other states, and he, they surprised him at the MCG. And it was that's great. Yeah, no, it was it was it was terrific um, uh, piece of video. So well done, Hawthorne Footy Club. And there was another digital award that's just escaping me at the moment. So big apologies to whoever won that, if you're listening. Uh, AFLW, of course, um, women's football is such a big part of the media landscape now too. There were a couple of awards for that, and one was won by AFL Media's uh, Sarah Black, who wrote, uh, she's a great uh, reporter on women's football for the AFL website. So she won, the I think, the News Award and the Feature Award was won by uh, Lauren Wood at the Herald Sun. And Lauren is a ripper. She's a fantastic journo and uh, an absolutely lovely person. I've known Lauren a long time since she was actually doing... uh, She was doing the media role for the Eastern Footy League. Um, So uh, she's a fantastic journo, Lauren, and that was a very popular win by her. A couple more, Um, the Podcast Award, first year of the Podcast Award, and that was very deservedly won by the sacked podcast that the Herald Sun produced, Glenn McFarlane and Johnny Ralph, and a terrific idea, and of course they got some great stories out of that, and presented really smartly too in that they did the podcast and then they were writing news stories, great news stories off the material in the podcast, which is great. I mean, you know, you're talking about events that had, in some cases happened 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but they were able to get great news stories out of it. So uh, it was a triumph of marketing and presentation, but most importantly, content. The interviews were terrific. A uh, couple in particular, the um, Mick Malthouse stuff was was terrific. And of course, rather poignantly, the Danny Frawley stuff as well. So uh, well done, Ralphie and Macca. Also well done, Macca, on earning AFL um, Media Association Life membership. And Glenn McFarlane, without a doubt, would be the most popular single member of the AFL Media fraternity. A, a lovely bloke and uh, another massive footy head like us finding. So uh, that was a really popular induction. And Michael Stevens, too, former... Uh, Sun News Pictorial, Herald and Herald Sun Journo um, broke memorably the uh, Fitzroy Bulldogs merger story of 1989. So good to see Mickey Stevens inducted as a life member. And the big two, we had the Lou Richards Award for the best former or current player who is part of the football media. And that was won by the host, Finey. BT had to present that award to himself. Yeah. It was like that scene in Woody Allen's Bananas where he cross-examines himself in the witness box. And then but the but bit- I thought his, his, what he said was really interesting because he spoke a little bit about roaming Brian. Yep. And people can think that, not that it's self-indulgent, but that it's all about Brian. And he was very at pains to point out that it works because of what you see in the rooms. Look beyond him talking to the play. He said, I ask stupid questions. Don't worry about that. Mm. But it's about getting a feel of what happens in the rooms, the coach yeah. talking to it. And it's true. It, it, yeah, it, yeah. it does give 
many people who've never been into the rooms, and we can take that for granted because we've yeah. been able to walk freely in the rooms through our careers. Yeah. Uh, uh, the vast majority of people don't, so it's it's a eye into the dressing rooms unfiltered. And he also said that half the teams embrace it, half don't, mm. and explain why with all the sponsors' signage in the room, why it's crazy that teams that don't embrace it uh, don't understand that their sponsors would be more than pleased to get that free look on primetime footy television. Yeah, I've got to say, I've really come around on that segment. And in actual fact, to be honest, I, I tend to watch the Friday night coverage when I'm not there on Fox, so I often miss it. But um, I've seen it a bit more recently. In fact, he almost fell over me last Friday night in the Geelong rooms. Um, but I, I don't see it as self-indulgent at all. And it's, uh, yeah, I've come around on that. And I think that's a really good point he makes, that you're seeing stuff that you didn't previously see. And it's it's good access to the punters. So well done, BT, on that. And then the big one, finally, the Alf Brown Award. And if you're wondering, who is Alf Brown? Former uh, great, late and great football writer with the old Evening Herald, a uh, legend of football journalism. So does this award go to the person who analyses games position by position? <laughs> no, writes the longest match previews. No, it goes to the uh, the person perceived to have done the best job overall in the football media of the year, and the winner must come from the pool of other category winners. And uh, it was won this year by Gary Lyon for his work on both SEN and on Fox Footy. And uh, in what has been, obviously, a harrowing couple of weeks for Gary Lyon, losing his great mate, Spud Frawley, um, it was a really nice to see that uh, picked up by him. He wasn't there on the night, but he did record a, a very heartfelt video tribute. So, well done, Gaz, on that win. Very much so. And, and I've always been a big fan of Gary. I, very I, much so. You sound like Bob Skilton doing special comments to yeah. Lou Richards. No, very much deserved. Uh, how did every Alf Brown article, uh, uh, the typical start, not every, of course, the typical start to an Alf Brown article as remembered by football fans of the day? Uh, no, go on. Vin Waite will have his hands full with elusive Collingwood forward pocket Ron Wearmouth, but ultimately should win out. <laughs> it was, he, every, you know, it started in the back pocket. Yeah. Weight versus Wearmouth. What, what about the um, the old pink Sporting Globe, the classic um, match report line out of a, a Sporting uh, Sporting Globe match report is, uh, Brit to Tottenham was good football. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that is definitely enough media watch for this week. Anyway, I just thought, you know, you guys out there, you do keep a pretty close eye on the footy media. So that was who was adjudged to be the best of the best um, actually, finally, we didn't do our little gag about why we didn't win the podcast award. Why didn't we win the podcast award? You know what? I think uh, I might not have submitted the best entry. I might have concentrated too heavily on the more comic elements at the expense of the more serious elements. I, can I just, or maybe we're just no good. No, I, I think that... I, I just want to say that we were up against, like we're sacked, you know, you've got a big organiser. You've got the Herald Sun throwing their support behind... A great concept and a great product. Don't get me wrong. I really think SAC was very good. But they produced nine episodes so far. Ten. Ten. Yeah. It was a ten yeah. series. Yeah. yeah. I think something's to be said for um, our effort in knocking out two, two, a week. Sh- two shows a week with the support of um, Southern FM. Yeah, so what is this? This is episode must be 50 or 51, I think, this season. Raise your bet. Yeah, okay. And just one observation. 
quickly. You talked about we talked about the old days of this is just for our younger listeners. Mm. Spoke about Alf Brown writing the Max Report, you know, the previews. Mm. There's there was something that used to be in the newspapers on a Saturday that would be so alien to football fans nowadays, so archaic, so um, you know, sort of quaint. Oh, I know what you're going to say. It's, Training notes. No, that was great. Oh, okay. But it's unbelievable. What? If you bought a certain edition of the Herald, which is the one we got home delivered on a Saturday, yeah. the back page was a full report on the first quarter yeah. only of the match of the day and then other matches. Can you imagine having to file a quarter-time report to fill the back page of a newspaper. Well, there were there were four editions of the Herald. I can't yeah. remember what they were called now. Sort of like uh, City City Extra Late and Final or something yeah. like that. Yeah. There, there were four editions, and yeah, I'd be there working for the um, the Old Sun, and the Herald guys would be just dictating uh, copy to, through to the copy takers nonstop right throughout the game. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Oh, it was full it, on. You'd get the report on the first quarter, and yeah. then on the side of the page in red. What was that? Stop the stop press. The stop press, you'd get the three-quarter time scores. Yeah, yeah. We called that the fudge. Actually, my first year on the job, I was a copy boy, and one of the, um, not perks of the job, but I used to really enjoy it, was using this thing called the shoot. And you're on the editorial floor, and the composing um, room floor was two floors above, and there was like a, it was like a dumb waiter sort of thing, uh, like a vacuum-operated system. No, and I love those a, the, the, in the capsules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the um, the what we called the fudge yeah. was the stop press, and that'd often be race results or whatever. But someone would yell out, uh, "Shoot!" and the copy boy would have to go over, grab the bit of copy paper, roll it up, put it in the tube, and go. Whoosh. Can you do that noise again? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it, it could have been worse. What? I mean, you were a copy boy, sticking things in the chute, weren't you? Better than being a rent boy. I was waiting for that. It sounded. Whenever I hear "copy boy," I think of. <laughs> it makes me it makes me think of Governor Frontbottom in the olden days going, "Boy, some pims." <laughs> it reminds me of Frank Thring. <laughs> yeah, well, I, we, do you remember? Do you know his famous quote? What was it? Bring me another boy. This <laughs> one's burst. <laughs> Oh, had, you, had you heard that one? No. Let's preview some footy games. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Oh, God. I'm going to have to ring the Australian Censorship Board and get an adult rating for this show. Oh, my God. All right. Let's get on with it. It's a funny. He's funny, Frank. Okay. Yes. All right. Very bawdy. Um Two big plenary finals, Friday, and we're going to look at them chronologically. And the first one on Friday night at the MCG, 7.50pm, and it is Geelong taking on Richmond. And uh, absolutely all the support coming for the Tigers, very little for the Cats, understandably, given the absence, crucial absence of key forward Tom Hawkins, who was terrific against the Eagles last week with four goals. And against Richmond's defence, you really do need to stretch them with some uh, big marking power. Um, so let, let's talk about potential ins and outs here. So um, fitness-wise, uh, still no Mitch Duncan with his knee. Uh, Jordan Clark has now been ruled out for the remainder of the season. 
Gary Rowan is going to be touch and go, I think. And I, I think given Hawkins' absence, they absolutely need him on the park. Um, who else is contending for selection? Uh, a couple of emergencies from last week, James Parsons and Scott Selwood. Uh, that would be, you'd think, if they decide to use Patrick Dangerfield as a permanent forward in an attempt to replace Hot, uh, Hotkins, Hawkins. Um, some speculation about Lockie Henderson um, playing, coming back into the fold to enable uh, perhaps Harry Taylor to go forward or Jack Henry. And a couple of lesser likely um, selection contingencies, I think probably Wiley Buzzer or Darcy Fort. I would have thought, I mean, Wiley Buzzer would be interesting, wouldn't he? But I guess with... I don't think they can do that. No, no, with Reece Stanley playing, I mean, Buzzer's best served as a sort of spare ruckman. I would have thought, I, I, I would have thought they'll go the way of Scott Selwood. Who do you think? Um, I mean, by the time people hear this, they may well know. Uh, yeah, no, true. I would have thought. Um, I think they've got to go with the. Uh, I think Gary Rowan's got to come in, and I think they've got to sort of use Dangerfield as a pinch hitting forward. But I wouldn't be leaving him up there for the whole game. I don't think they can afford to do that. I think they might be able to get away with it if Radaglia can give them. Yeah, if Radagalia can play the sort of game he played last week, uh, and he kicked three, of course, and was a pretty handy target, I think they can get away with it. But absolutely not if he doesn't play out of his skin. So it certainly ups the ante on their whole forward setup. Um, as far as the Tigers go, uh, Sydney Stack, he's been ruled out again, so I think you can kiss him goodbye, unfortunately, which is sad. Uh, Rioli had a bit of an ankle issue, but he'll be okay. No problems there. Um, anyone contending for selection? Connor Menadieu was pretty impressive in the VFL last weekend. Um, the Richmond team, of course, winning their preliminary final against Port Melbourne, moving into the VFL grand final. Uh, he's probably the only one who'd be considered, but you'd think it's going to be no change yeah. for the Tigers. Yeah, Richmond will go in with the same team. And as far as the lock, the loss of Tom Hawkins, it is... A major loss because the one place where Richmond may be considered to be vulnerable is with height and strength in the back line. Grimes is a great player, don't get me wrong, gets good coverage from Asprey, but they're not huge defenders. And, of course, it was this time last year that that lack of height in defence, even with Rands playing, was exploited by Mason Cox. Yeah. So there is a sense that the key forward... The big key forward can be dangerous against Richmond. Uh, they've still got to counter Radagalia, who's a nice lump of a lad, but it's a major out for Geelong, and one that, even if Tom Hawkins played, it was going to be a very tough assignment, wasn't it? So a, st- a stable Richmond versus a spearhead at the other club being out. The really interesting element to this, though, what are yep. you looking at on your phone? I've got to ask. I was trying to remember. that. I know that... Tom Hawkins' father, of course, was Jumping Jack Hawkins. Yes. His uncle was Rob Hawkins with two Bs. Yes. But he had another uncle who played league football. That's what you're looking up. Yeah. Couldn't do that later? 
No, because I was just going to say that even if they had Tom Hawkins, his father Jack, and his uncles Rob and Question Mark, <laughs> and his grandfather, who also played for Geelong, they all win. playing, they couldn't win. All right. Well, the, the rogue element to this game, of course, is the fact that they did win when they absolutely smashed the Tigers in round 12 on a Friday night. Um, yeah, check out his scoreline now. 16-8-104, the Cats. Smashing Richmond, 5-7-37. A 67-point win that night. Uh, Hawkins kick four. Uh, Myers three. Ablett two. Radaglia two. And um, who was missing? Because I, I, I remember thinking, gee, Richmond must have still had a heap of players out. Well, their jumping jack wasn't playing. Um, who are you talking about there? what? Uh yeah, he wasn't. No, they, this is who they were missing at, yeah, among their best. They were missing uh, Rance, Rewalt, Asbury, um, Nankervis, Lambert, and uh, Bolton, Broad, Short, and Ellis. It's <laughs> quite a lot, isn't it? Uh, ten players. Ooh la la. Yeah, um, Cats weren't really missing anyone. Uh, oh, Buse, Menegola, and Narkel didn't play in that game. Um, so, yeah, look, uh, Richmond really stretched on the uh, key defender front there with Rance and Asprey out and key forward too with Rewald out. Um, still, I mean, if you were Geelong, you'd take plenty of confidence out of that result, surely. Yeah, but the reality is that half of their team wasn't playing and now only Rance is unavailable. Mm. The old adage that you learn more from a loss than a win would have served Richmond well because they learned a lot about some of these fringe players that they've been able to select from to get their best 22. Look, Richmond are in magnificent nick, and the one sort of... With all teams that charge into a preliminary final, see, no matter what happens, even if you go through the season undefeated, win your first final by 100 points, the reality is that come this weekend... Four teams are all equal. Mm. You know, there's no advantage really other than playing home state or home ground for the teams that have had the big season. But the 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 nagging fear for the powerhouses that really deserve a spot in the grand final is, you know, do we just, on this one day, is this the one day where we just get caught on the hop, where we don't play our best football? It is a nagging doubt because there's no credits that can save you from a poor performance but us richmond i'm saying but in terms of being caught unawares being cocky putting the cart before the horse expecting to be in the grand final all of that would have been extinguished last year with the loss to collingwood Mm. so geelong have to climb two big mountains as well that is that they're not going to catch them unaware in terms of respecting Geelong, because the last time they played, they lost by over 10 goals, mm. and they're not going to take for granted a spot in the grand final because of what happened last year. So those two alarm bells yep. have been sounded. Yeah. That's not good for Geelong. Be interest- yeah, it'd be interesting to know how much uh, Damien Hardwick and the Richmond coaching panel have made of that fact. Not I, I so much about ne- Geelong, but I the preliminary final. I would have thought they wouldn't need to. Yeah. Really. it's It would be... A one line, and it would be, that line would surely be, everybody knows how much last year hurt, mm. and we're not going to fall into that trap again. Yeah, but almost not necessarily said. Yeah, because the reality is, if they stuff it up, it, it basically undoes twenty 
uh, what, four weeks of, of very solid work. Which is why I sort of raked along only a one in ten chance because, you know, people say, what's your tip in this game, etc. And I like giving, how many times would you play this game? Mm. In my mind, you'd play it ten times. Richmond would win nine times. The bet, the clearly better team all over the park and also the team that hits this game in the best form is Richmond. The only things that count for Geelong are Richmond completely stuffing up, but their game style is not like that. So you're, you reckon 9 out of 10? Yeah. The, to me, the only thing that can count against Richmond is <laughs> will the fact that they've not played a lot in the last three weeks, you know, only one game, is that the niggling doubt? Because... Team against team, Richmond win. Yeah, well, the numbers on that, and you know this is a hobby horse of mine, the numbers on uh, post the introduction of the pre-finals by um, six qualifying final winners we've had going through to preliminary final and thus getting two weeks off, um, week off play, week off play, uh, three of won, three of lost. So I, I think it's a big couple of tests of what happens there. What did you make of Chris Scott's pre-game posturing, including saying that Richmond were a better team last year than this year? Um, Which is completely wrong. A bit bit, uh, early 2000s. Yeah. So so the reality is Richmond are a much better placed team this year for two reasons. I understand Rance is out, but first of all, that back line is working brilliantly. It couldn't be working any better. There are two huge reasons why Richmond are better. One, Martin was not in cherry ripe form yep. in coming into last year's preliminary final. He's perfect. And Tom Lynch probably is the best recruit of the year. Best pickup of the year, when you think about it. Yep. No, very good points. So who are you picking? <laughs> Richmond. Give us a margin. 31 points. Uh, I'm going to go for Richmond by 24 points. All right, the second preliminary final, Saturday afternoon at 4.35. I didn't actually write down the start time, but I'm pretty sure that's right, 4.35. And it is Collingwood taking on GWS. What are your initial thoughts on that one? Almost uh, the reverse of why Richmond won't be caught with their pants down is the only way that Collingwood can lose this game, and that is cockiness. Mm. Because when you look at the GWS team, Sons, French for without, Toby Green, pending a tribunal appeal. Yes, if you're listening to this uh, post the next 24 hours, we have recorded this on Thursday morning. So at this stage, Toby Green is out of the side. But dramatic news, finally, uh, with the revelation that Lockie Whitfield has been in hospital with appendicitis, and that's the end of him for the season, isn't it? He couldn't possibly play next week. It really is. Only because we're in the finals has a time not been put on it. Well, you know what they should have done? Rather than take him to hospital, they should have just put him straight in a hyperbaric chamber. That cures everything in the finals. Well, I haven't heard. I don't think anyone's used one this final series. What's going on? I know. the, The hyperbaric chamber has, unfortunately, all those down payments... Uh, never covered that. It was all balloon costed. It was like buying something off TV. I reckon Ron Barassi in Melbourne used it first back yeah. in the early eighties. It was like radio rentals. Haven't you? Dri- haven't you driven past hyperbaric foot- Haven't you driven past footy grounds on hard rubbish day? Most of them have got a hyperbaric chamber <laughs> out the front. They are the they're, they're the um what are that what's that muscle that 
rowing thing that every, that people bought and ended up in hard rubbish off. Not the bull worker. No, yeah. no. There's that, there's that thing that people buy off late night TV that ends up in hard rubbish. I've bought a few things off late night TV. A soup maker about a year ago. Oh, that's my favourite ad. That's the New Zealander with the moustache. Is that the soup maker that also heats it up? Uh, it's like a, it's like a, it's like yeah. A, I think it might be actually. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> he, he was. This is. He he took prawn, lobster chowder, just lobster, tomatoes, cream. Mmm. <laughs> Except the problem was in the ad, he had a moustache and he had the lobster chowder <laughs> on his moustache for the next three soups. Well, that's why they call it a soup strainer. Now I've just got to very quickly before we actually preview this game. I bought it up, Hyperbaric Chambers. I can't ever hear that without thinking of the grand final edition of the footy show before the 1995 grand final, which was Geelong Carlton. And uh, Brad Scholl, the Geelong Scholl was Brad. He had uh, some sort of ankle ligament injury, and it was a bit touch and go about whether he'd play. And uh, he was doing a recovery session in a hyperbaric chamber and was interviewed live by the footy show. So they had a live cross to the Geelong Hyperparic Chamber, and he's sitting back inside the chamber, and uh, one of them says to him, oh, you know, geez, does it get uh, boring in there? Brad, what, what do you do while you're in there? And he, <laughs> To which his response was, oh, not a lot, mate, just read stick books. <laughs> <laughs> True story. He actually said that That's on great. Uh, live TV. All right, let's preview this game. So... Um, Whitfield out and for uh, our younger listeners, back in the day, there used to be books where you uh, art and craft books where <laughs> where men would uh, make models out of sticks. That's it. Yeah, um, um, uh, GWS cannot possibly win. Sons, uh, Cornelio, Green, or Whitfield, along with Kelly, three of the <clears throat> four best players. Yep. Is that it? That's the end of the preview then. Well, no, we've got to, I mean, yeah, you're in it, you're in it, you're a chance. So what happens for Whitfield? Um, Bobby Hill, surely. Bobby Hill sounds like an American rap singer, R&B Bobby Hill was a character, doesn't it? He was a character on Hill Street Blues. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, that's right. And also, he's, yeah. the, he's the son on King of the Hill. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm thinking of Bobby Brown, of course, American R&B stuff. He was Whitney Houston's boyfriend or husband or something, wasn't he? Didn't he he get a couple of weeks on a striking charge? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think you find he did. Bobby Hill will come into the side and... Not uh, making light of that. He was a bad man. And... um, Who else might come in? Zach Langdon uh, has played some reasonable footy for him. Tommy Sheridan, uh, possible left field selection. Um, Cornelio definitely won't be ready to play this game. Um, what about... You know where they're in most danger, apart from losing three of the four best players in the side? They're in huge danger in the ruck, mate. That's exactly what I was about to say. He, got, um, he was hopeless last week, Okay, Mumford. give him a name. Shane Mumford. He, um, was, t- he was terrible in that win, may I say. But he was, Ma- no, hang on, he was ordinary, him. but Stefan Martin played one of the great ruck games. Um, he was sensational, Martin, in that game. And Martin's good, but Grundy's better. He is, and uh, possibly even a bit more mobile and a bit more damaging going forward. So um, there is some speculation they might bring in some support for Mummy, and that might uh, actually be, ironically, former Collingwood player Lockie Keefe. What would you think of that? I don't think it's ironic's the correct word. 
Um, isn't it? Oh, no, I suppose it's not ironic. What's the word I'm after then? Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, fair enough. Um, they're on the bones of their bare ass. With so it's, two it, sounds, it sounds like we think um, the Giants are going to get absolutely smashed here. Well, they do fall away a bit as they have to search for a 22. <clears throat> Who could they bring in? The McDonald from Melbourne that they got? Oh, maybe they could play <laughs> Chad Corns. Oh, don't be silly. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, you Sam, have... Sam Reid keeps staying on the list. I don't know what their, who their rookies are. Well, he's, they've sort of turned him into a pretty pandy sort of run-with type player. Um, I mean, credit to the Giants. They look absolutely gone for all money at the end of the home and away season. You know, held goalless in two second halves consecutively. And they've really shown a, a really tough streak in t- psychologically and physically. Um Sadly, I think they've done pretty well. Yeah, sadly they enter this preliminary final, and it does happen sometimes in preliminary on preliminary final weekend, as one of the lamest, as one of the, and this is because of injury. Not no, make no bones about it. And I know Colin would have got players out and have had all season, but we're talking about the elite players at GWS that won't be playing, potentially with Green out. This would have to be one of the. Um, Weakest preliminary finalists for years. Um, North Melbourne fell into a couple. Yeah, yeah. North Melbourne, two thousand and fourteen, potentially. But this is it. Have a look at this team with when named, and you'll see the problem. Uh, that is presuming, though, that Collingwood. I mean, how good a form do we think Collingwood's in? Like they were good against the Cats in the qualifying final. I wouldn't say they were great, but they've got the midfield working. Yeah. Taylor Adams, who'd been injured most of the years, fully fit and now influential. Pendlebury is running on top of the ground like the champion he is. Mm. Trelaw is actually playing very well. Yeah, that is a power led by the best ruckman in the AFL with plenty of backup. You know, with Thomas running through the midfield. Uh, Crisp has been great off the half-back line, a big possession winner. And Darcy Moore looked excellent in the first week of the finals. No Dugowie, no of no course. No Dugowie, but Elliot in good form. Who will they bring in for Dugowie? Uh, Aish? Yeah, I think Aish is probably the He's missed about seven weeks, I think, with a shoulder injury. Is Varko a chance otherwise? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, he was doing pretty well as a small forward, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but now that they've got... Elliot playing so well, it's... Yeah, but uh, you, you're right. Uh, the ruck, massive concern in the ruck for the Giants with Grundy to take on Mumford. And, and even a bigger ground than Gabba makes it harder for Mumford. Yeah, and massive concern at the feet of the ruckman without Cornelio Whitfield and at this stage, Green. Uh, yes, we know he plays forward, but he does spend a bit of time midfield as well. Which makes, means that Kelly, Taranto <coughs> and Hopper have to play the games of their lives. And also have to play more midfield minutes because one thing that Cameron does very well with that rich, deep midfield is rotate them heavily and keeps good quality players fresh for the last quarter. And the other big question too in terms of the midfield is um, DeBoer. Who does he pick up? Pendlebury? Or? Everybody's, saying pe- everybody's saying Pendlebury. I've never seen Pendlebury tagged out of a game of football. You've got to be effective. Everybody's saying Pendlebury, but have, have you? Do you ever remember Pendlebury being tagged out of a match? Not often. 
No. So he's got to go to somebody you know, more. He, his lesser performances have tended to come under the weight of injury. Rather yeah, that's than right. A, yeah. You really need to put your tagger on somebody that's taggable. Yeah, I, I think side bottom. I mean, we saw what yeah, Hutchings that, did exactly in the grand final what, last year. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think so. Oh, we, right. we need to do this. We don't need each other. We think very similarly. Oh, no, it's, it's scaring me. Um, all right, who are you tipping? Oh, we don't need to give a tip. We're going no, to have the same tip. Yeah, you just tell me who you think will win. Uh, Collingwood. By how many? Uh, I've got a number in my mind. If okay. it's the same, I'll all walk right. out. All right. Um, Brendan, Brendan Maynard, 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 Maynard. I forgot what number he is. <laughs> Maynard. Uh, he's 20-something, isn't he? No, I can't. Adam Goods. 37. Yeah. I, I only ever tip in even numbers. Really? Yeah, I'm going 42. Walls. Collingwood, 42. Rob Walls, yeah. Uh, Russell Muir, Essendon back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Mackesee, St Kilda. <laughs> St Kilda, no good, Nick. Uh, this is sick. All right, so you're going for... Wayne Judson, who was a very Wayne good... Wayne Judson, good player. Played 142 yeah. games for... Played, Hamid, played in the 71 grand final. Yeah. yeah. But played a number of times for Victoria. Yeah. Was in the tip-top sun-blessed football card series where they took the two best players from every club oh, yeah. and it was he and Glenn Elliott. Like Victorian selection, two players from I'm the saying, top. well, it was supposed to yeah. be like that. Yeah. It came in the, with your bread. Yeah. And he won number 42. 142 games, how many goals? None. Correct. Okay. So um, we're both going Collingwood comfortably. All right, there's enough previews with Punch. Let's finish this off. On Footyology, the final word. All right, Finey, uh, we're getting up to the end of our uh, weekly giveaways here and uh, the Footyology podcast, but we still have one more to give away before our big grand final competition. That will be announced on Sunday, and we won't just give you, be giving away your standard Footyology prize pack. We have got a ripper, courtesy of Argon, providers of 100% natural organic cotton products. Uh, it is a complete bed set, Duna cover, Fitted sheets, pillow slips, um, that little doily thing you put on the on top. No, I just made that up. But it is a complete bed set in uh, whatever size you want, whether it's king size, queen size, or if you're a sad little man still living with your mum and need a single bed. No, no, just kidding. Um, we will provide. So it's a great prize, and uh, make sure you enter next week's competition, which will be announced on Sunday night when we announce the winner of our ongoing competition, Finey, which is... Your Brownlow, your own personal Brownlow story. Now, I, if you've won a Brownlow, if you're a listener who's won a Brownlow, send it in. Mm. Would love to hear from Shane Ray Woden. Would love to hear from even the family of a Brownlow winner. Maybe Ivor Warren Smith's family. Mm. But if you're not a Brownlow winner, you might have had a story. Maybe a, a wager you had, a Brownlow night party, Brownlow night hijinks. Maybe you went to the old Southern Cross to get an autograph. Yes. Or maybe you were just playing 10-pin bowling the night the Brownlow was held. Or maybe it was so long ago you went to uh, Chaucer's, which uh, yeah. Len Thompson won it in 1972 at Chaucer's, which later became the Leonda down in, uh, uh, is that Swan Street or Power Street? But uh, you know where I mean, that sort of junction of that Hawthorne-Richmond area. 
Um, send your entries into info at footyology.com.au and for your trouble you will win an Andrews Hamburgers t-shirt in your size, an Andrews Hamburgers cap and a 100% natural organic cotton argan gym towel. And I've just taken delivery of a few more of them. And uh, guys, and I know Finey's been in contact, uh, they're still waiting on their prize packs Fear not, they are very much on the way. You will receive them very shortly, we promise. With towels, beautiful Argon towels. Correct. Little update on Wayne Judson. I said 142 games because it just was in my mind. He yes. wore 42. It was 124 games. Okay. No goals, three behinds. Okay, that's important tonight. And one hit out in his entire yeah, career. That's terrific. Uh, the Judson family would be very relieved that you corrected that serious error. All right, time for us to go. Uh, hope your team gets a win this week if they are indeed contending. If they're not, Let's hope we get to ripping preliminary finals. We'll be back on Sunday night to talk about them in full. And we know what the song is. I've got it. Well, do we go back to 1980? We are going back to 1980. I just wanted to say first, though, uh, I I was talking about how the prospect of a Richmond-Collingwood grand final brought all the memories of 1980 coming back into my head, one of which, unfortunately, is about halfway through the year at my high school, this absolute thug turned up out of nowhere and was in my class for about a month until he got expelled for throwing a chair at a teacher. But before that, in in fact, at the end of his first week, he managed to uh, punch the absolute crap out of me whilst I was waiting to get a bus, breaking my nose. Why did he do that? I've still got no idea, but this is a true story. I walked up to get the bus home, and this guy, and his name is Marcus Leone, uh, I've never forgotten it, walked up to me and said, you're not getting on this bus. And I said rather confusedly, why not? And stepped around him and he just went bang and splattered my nose all over my face. He's a legend. And uh, that, that being... <laughs> I know Marcus Leone. No, you bullshit. That being <laughs> 1980, um, you'd think these days, of course, a kid would get uh, savagely dealt with for doing that. Those days, of course, I went home and my mum and dad wanted to ring the school and I begged them not to because I was worried about further of repercussions. Yeah, of course. You, you never, so I you, just put you up ne- with it. You never lagged. Anyway, the last thing I wanted to say uh, whilst we're talking about 1980 is, Marcus Leone, if I ever see you anywhere on the streets, you are fucking dead. Let's leave you today with David Bowie's Ashes to Ashes. We'll see you on Sunday night.
Strong. 